morning, if you will take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, our text for this morning will be verses 1 through 13. Luke 11, 1 through 13. Hope that you are doing well and all that's going on in our world. It's always a delight to be able to gather together on the Lord's Day to be reminded that God is still sovereign, that God is still at work in his world, doing many glorious, good, majestic things for his honor and according to his purposes and ways. And so, uh, whether it's through the words of the songs we sing or the prayers we pray corporately together, uh, now as we come and hear God's word, it's, it's a blessing and it's a gift of God's grace to us that we can uh, join together this way, and even for those of you who are via our live stream. Um, as well. And so let's look now at God's Word. I want to read verses 1 through 13 of Luke chapter 11. These are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? Who has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you reveal yourself and your ways to us. Lord, we thank you for this specific word on prayer this morning. Would you help us to hear it, and Lord, help us to apply it, that our fellowship with you would be sweeter, and that our dependence upon you would be more apparent in our lives. So, Father, would you teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The great D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preacher in England, 1900, said, this about prayer. He said, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Prayer is beyond any question, he says, the highest activity of the human soul. And so if that's the case, why is it that we struggle so much with prayer? 
Why is our praying so rote and routine? Why do we often feel as if our prayers don't go further than the ceiling? Why is it that we often approach prayer so mechanically and carelessly? Why is prayer so often neglected? Well, here in Luke chapter 11, we've seen that Jesus has just spent time praying. And after Jesus prays, we're told there in verse 1 that one of his disciples spoke up and said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Think about the conversation between Jesus and that disciple and that request and Think about the fact that Jesus himself was modeling the priority and the importance of prayer. And we see, based upon Jesus' response, many things that we learn about prayer from this text. We can look at many passages. We can look at many prayers. In fact, if I, would, I often tell people that if you want to learn how to pray, learn by praying the prayers of the Bible. Look at the ways in which God's people, Old and New Testament alike, prayed. If you want to learn a lot about prayer, look at biblical prayers. And so, based upon this conversation, based upon this passage, what is it that we should know about prayer? We continue to make our way through Luke's gospel. Just last week, we looked at the, the, uh, the calling of discipleship, and we saw by example through Mary, certainly through Martha, what it means to be a devoted disciple versus that which is to be a distracted disciple. We saw the, the priority that Mary placed upon listening to God's Word, listening to Jesus teach, and so we saw how that was elevated in the life of the disciple, and now today we see how prayer is elevated in the life of the disciple. Jesus shows us several things here about prayer that we want to learn. First of all, we see here that he gives us an essential pattern to follow. When you think about praying, what, are the, what is the content of your prayers? Well, Jesus here gives us an essential pattern. And again, before we dive right into the disciples' request and Jesus' answer, I think, again, it's just good to see and observe the fact that Jesus himself spent time praying. Jesus prayed. That in and of itself has just always been so instructive to me. I mean, you, you find a variety of different prayers that Jesus prayed throughout the Gospels, and the fact that he prayed, that alone ought to speak volumes to us. We see Jesus prioritizing time in prayer. What should that teach us? Well, as Jesus answers the disciples' questions, or the question here, he highlights several things about prayer. This, this passage is often known or referred to as the Lord's Prayer. We know that we have a fuller version of it in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but it's, it's better described as the disciples' prayer. Some refer to it as the model prayer. Again, it's recorded here and in Matthew with some differences. The Luke's version of this prayer is a bit more compact 
not as um, many things included in Luke's version as in Matthew's version. And I think that's important for us to notice because it shows that Jesus' concern here was not that they get exact wording to repeat, but that they understood the important themes that ought to mark and characterize our praying. You know, I mean, just think how many times, I mean, who knows how many times throughout the history of the world the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer has been prayed just out of mechanical routine, even in gathered assemblies, in gathered churches. How often it's been prayed, but, but the, the point here is not that we get the exact words just right so that we pray it just as Jesus said, and then magical things happen. Not at all. He's pointing out a, a model in a way and, and themes that ought to characterize generally our prayers. Well, what are those themes? Let's consider several of them here uh, from Luke's account of this prayer. First of all, we see this. We see that a concern for God's character ought to be present in our praying. A concern for God's character. Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. John Calvin once said that God's name should be hallowed was nothing other than to say that God should have his own honor of which he is worthy that men should never think or speak of him without the greatest veneration. Father, suggest an authoritative yet intimate relationship. We are praying to God. We are praying to one who has authority and majesty and glory, and yet he is our Father. Hallowed be your name. To hallow means to sanctify or to revere. To hallow God's name means that we are to revere him for who he is and express reverence and awe to him. Prayer is something that we often think of, and it's partly true. Prayer is something that we often, when you think about praying in general, or have you prayed today? Let me just ask you that question. Have you prayed today? There's the question. And then what was the content of your prayer? So when you think that, you're probably, if you're like me, or like most would think, you're probably going back and say, well, what things did I ask God for? What was it? Who, who did I pray for? What did I pray for? What was I asking him for? And that's certainly true. We are to bring our petitions to God. We are to bring our requests to God. We are to pray asking God for things. You're going to see that in just a moment. But before we seek the blessings of God through prayer, we first need to be awed by who he is. We pray out of a sense of adoration, recognizing, confessing his honor and his worth. We come to him as a child would to a father, and yet he is no ordinary father. When we pray, we must first realize who it is that we're seeking. I love what uh, Pastor John Anwuchekwa, pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, Georgia, said in his book on prayer. He said, to pray, hallowed be your name, means being concerned more with the advancement of God's reputation in the world than your own. 
So we're praying, Lord, hallowed be your name. We are more concerned in prayer and through our relationship with God, we're more concerned about the reputation of God in the world than we are our own reputation. That that ought to characterize our praying, that God, we are about your fame. We are about your honor. We are about hallowing your name to the world, to seeing your name declared as great. Brothers and sisters, does that often characterize your praying? Are we concerned about the reputation of God's name and God's honor? Are we recognizing that God is that one, the being that should have his own honor, of which he is so worthy, as Calvin said? Are we concerned for his character and for the, the recognition of his honor as we pray? We're confessing that. Second theme that you see that ought to mark our praying is a concern for God's kingdom. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. As we hallow the name of God, as we pray recognizing the, the supreme worth and honor of God, it should also be our desire that more and more people in the world would recognize that. As we as we seek to pray, hallowing the, the name of the Lord, we're praying, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God, referring here to God's saving rule over the nation, highlighting the greatness of God's loving, just, and righteous reign. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are ultimately praying for the success of the gospel in the world. We are praying to that end. We are praying for the conversion of men, women, and children. And yet we are praying beyond that. We are praying that as that continues to increase and happen, that we are praying in anticipation and expectation of the culmination of God's kingdom. Our prayers ought to be characterized by kingdom activity. You think about that, on one hand, the arrival of Je with the arrival of Jesus, the, the kingdom has invaded the world. And from the time he walked the earth, the kingdom has continued to grow, yet we still await its final and full culmination. The fullness of the kingdom of God is yet future. And so as we pray your kingdom come, we are praying with that eschatological view, with that, the end in mind, knowing that God's kingdom will come and the fullness of his kingdom will be enjoyed forever by his people. His eternal reign and rule. And our prayers ought to be focused on that reign. And I know that many times our, our praying can be cluttered and consumed with, with temporal need. That's the next point. We're going to talk about praying for need. And so don't hear me say you should never pray for physical need. However, your praying for physical temporal needs should never be to the neglect of God's eternal rule and reign. Those should never interfere or interrupt or consume to the point where we lose sight of God's kingdom. Think about this world 
This world is exhausting, isn't it? It's difficult. And so many of our prayers amidst an exhausting and painful and difficult world, so many of our prayers only get us to the next week. So many of our prayers are just consumed with the here and now. And we're not bursting through the difficulty and the pain and the exhaustion and the, and the chaos of this world looking for and delighting in and anticipating and hoping in God's fullness, the fullness of God's kingdom. Certainly we should be praying for the needs of the day, and we'll see that, needs of the week. God's sustaining grace, we need that. Brothers and sisters, let us not forget that a concern for the kingdom of God, the advance of the gospel and the fullness of his kingdom, anticipating the second coming of Christ, that that too should dominate our praying. You know, when you think about our prayers, our, our, our agenda in praying often conflicts with God's agenda because our affections are sometimes at odds with God's affections. And whatever your affections are, those affections will shape your agenda in prayer. So are you longing for the fullness of God's kingdom? Are you longing for the kingdom to come in its fullness? where God's righteous and just and loving reign is on full display, his glory, the fellowship with his people, uninterrupted forever and ever and ever. Is that something that you long for as you pray? Number three, another theme that we see here is a concern for God's provision. There are things God provides for us, things that he delights to give us through prayer. You see that here. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Then he says in verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. And verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. First of all, you see a reference here to practical needs, basic needs that we need, things that we must need. They're, they're a necessity in this life. This request to give us each day our daily bread is an acknowledgement for the need of God's daily provision in our lives for nourishment. Now, in 2020, in our day and time, in the culture in which we live, it's hard difficult for us to get our minds wrapped around this request because most of us have days if not weeks maybe months worth of food at home in your cabinets and not only that we have an abundance of options right and then we get frustrated when some of our options are out you know I got momentarily frustrated this morning when I realized we're out of milk and now I'm obligated to eat chocolate chip waffles instead of cereal What a crisis, right? And the Lord had a quick conversation about that, and he won. 
So it's hard for us to understand this request. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't live in a, in a culture, in a, in a time where we have no idea about our next meal. So I think we step back a bit. Thank God that we are in a situation where we have abundance. Let's thank him for that. Let's not take it for granted. Let's not get all in our fields when we don't have the right option that's available because we are out of something and now we've got to go eat this. Thank God that we have food. Thank God that we have need, that our needs are being met and many times abundantly so. So at the heart of this request is the idea that, Lord, I am trusting you for the needs of today. Yes, you've given me more than I could fathom. I have more than I need, but I'm still looking to you, recognizing that I'm trusting in you for the needs of today. It's, it's not, this is not a prayer for luxuries here. It's not a prayer for prosperity. It's a moderate prayer, acknowledging our need for God and trusting him that we will always have enough. It's also a reminder to us that all we have comes from the Lord. And so when we pray, even giving thanks to God before a meal, as routine as that may feel at times, as, as commonplace as that may feel, just like almost like breathing air as we, as we give thanks, we are recognizing that were it not for the Lord, we would not have this. So give us this day our daily bread. We may have abundance of bread. We may have options. But even as we pray, we are recognizing that were it not for the Lord, we would have nothing. So we do pray that God would meet our most basic needs, our practical needs, but also that he would meet our spiritual needs. Verse four, and forgive us our sins. Sins are often viewed as debts. And when we pray, we're to pray with that debt in mind. Spiritually speaking, our debt is such that we are in constant default and unable to pay what is due. Our sin debt is such that it could never, no matter how hard you tried, how creative you are, your sin debt, my sin debt is such that it will never be paid off in and of our own strength. glorious text from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 13. And you, Paul says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. How? Having forgiven, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. As Christians, the good news for us is that when you come to Christ for salvation, you no longer stand condemned. The record of debt that you had incurred, the default in which you were in, the, 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 the debt that you could not pay off has been cleared, 
canceled because of the work of Jesus Christ who lived the life we should have lived and he died in our place to take our place as he died upon the cross. He took the debt against us. He took it upon his own shoulders. Friend, if you're here today and you hear that and maybe you're not a Christian, that's the most important thing you would hear all day. This is what Jesus does. He comes to pay your debts. He comes to take upon himself the the full judgment and weight against your sin so that if you would look to him and trust in him, cry out to him in faith, he would forgive you of all your sin and he would reconcile you to God. So that when we get to Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and we hear Paul say that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But even as a believer, we still sin. Though our standing before God has been secured through the work of Christ, we still require God's forgiveness because our sin does interrupt fellowship with God. And we can seek such forgiveness because our debt has already been paid. So we ask through prayer, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgiveness should be a regular theme, a regular, regular component of our praying, and not just in a general sense, in a very specific sense. And here we see just Just in verse 4, we we see both the vertical and horizontal reality concerning forgiveness. We forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. It would be wrong to seek God for something, forgiveness of sins, that we ourselves are not willing to extend to others. Say the opposite is true. The fact that God does forgive us of our sins when we come to him and confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, John says, 1 John 1, 9. And because of that, we are called to forgive others who are indebted to us. So we pray with spiritual needs in mind. And then in verse 4 at the end there, he says, and lead us not into temptation. There's this request for spiritual protection. This is not saying that God sometimes tempts us and we're asking for him not to do that. That's not what that says. Lead us not into temptation is not not saying, Lord, sometimes you do that and please don't do that again. That's not what that means. We know that God tempts no one. He will sometimes test us, but he does not tempt. So it's a prayer seeking God's help and aid so that we don't succumb to temptation because God cares about our holiness. He is working all things for our good that we may be conformed to the image of Christ. And such a request, Lord, lead us not into temptation, is a request that works in alignment with that work God is doing. It acknowledges the danger of sin, the weakness of the flesh, and our dependence upon God's power and grace for our sanctification, our growth in grace, our growth as a Christian. 
So we pray, not only for our physical needs, but our spiritual needs. Are these themes regular in your praying? The Lord's Prayer is uttered weekly, if not daily, by countless millions of people throughout the world. And the sad truth is that for many, there is no true desire or understanding behind such prayer. Many who recite this prayer care nothing about the character of God, care nothing about the kingdom of God, know nothing of this sense of urgency for the kingdom to come. They they don't feel that sense of urgency. There's no desperate plea for forgiveness and awareness of the dangers that cause so many to stumble. So, brothers and sisters, as we pray, this is a prayer not merely to be repeated because the right words are somehow magical. It's a prayer that needs to be prayed because the right themes that lead us to the throne are in it. That's totally fine to pray the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, the Model Prayer, however you want to describe it. It's totally fine to pray this prayer, but we need to understand that Jesus' point was not just pray these exact words, but make sure that these are your, this is your focus when you pray. You see that it's a concern for God's provision. Number four, it's also in this prayer we see a concern for fellow Christians. Do not miss this. One thing you should notice about the way Jesus instructs his disciples to pray is that it assumes a broader believing community. In verse 2, he says, and when you pray, English is a bad language because in English you can't see a lot of things you need to see. That you, when you pray, is plural. It's plural. When y'all pray, that's how we'd say it in Tennessee. It's a plural you, and when you all pray, he says, give us, right? He Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Do you see the the plural references, the, the plural pronouns that are present throughout this prayer? It's a prayer the entire community shares together. The, the corporate thrust of this prayer is something, friends, that is often missed. Just so, so much like so much biblical exposition and application. We immediately come to the Bible saying, what does God have to say for me? And so much of the Bible, though it impacts and is applicable to you, singular, was written to us, plural. So much of the Bible, so much of the New Testament is written to entire groups, entire churches. And friends, the corporate thrust of this prayer is something that we need to recognize. We're quick, we're always so quick to individualize application. Even when we're praying the Lord's Prayer, application is often typically focused on me or mine, not us and ours. Corporate prayer is something that is often lacking. Every now and then, I'll hear not a complaint, but a recognition that, wow, we pray long prayers sometimes at church. 
Amen. The corporate thrust of this prayer is something that we need to recognize because not only do we need to recognize it in corporate expressions, in corporate practices of prayer, but also we need to keep in mind a corporate recognition when we pray. So even if you're not gathered with the community and you're praying alone, that you're praying still with the us in mind, the us, the we in view. We should be praying, not only for ourselves, but keeping in mind the body of Christ as well. I often say that if you want to see human selfishness on full display, just go drive around for a while. I often say that that human selfishness, if you want to see it, just go drive around, and people driving will show you just how selfish we are. Right? It's on display. Just drive down the road, and, and people are so selfish, and they're driving. But I think I could also say, if you want to see human selfishness on display, listen to some of our prayers. Listen to how you pray. The pattern that Jesus sets for us is an important one. And you see here the assumption that when we pray, we are praying with the whole in mind and not just you, not just me. The pattern concerns fellow believers in addition to your own specific needs. So we see, as Jesus answered the question, an essential pattern. I wanted to spend most of our time there. Uh, when we walked through Matthew's gospel, we spent like seven or eight weeks walking through this prayer. But I want to finish up with these last two observations quickly. You see a pattern, but then you see, number two, a bold persistence. In verses 5 through 10, we see a brief parable of sorts Jesus shares. And this parable is presented as a question. The question is often lost, but from verse 5 down to verse 7, it's a question. This parable is presented as a question that runs all the way down to verse 7 with the answer given in verse 8. And this parable gives us a picture of a problem that reflects first century Palestine. Food was not readily available as it is today. We've already acknowledged that. There was no evening shops. There was no 24-hour drive-throughs. Wawa wasn't around. Sheets wasn't available. And so bread was baked daily to meet the day's need, for example. But another thing in ancient culture that we need to understand is that what ho- was that hospitality was a big-time priority. And being a good host to visitors was critical. So the host that's pictured here, let me just read this again in verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. End of the question there. Verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So this host, this this 
person that Jesus highlights here has a dilemma. He has a friend that's just arrived at his house late, friends on a journey, shows up at his house. It was commonplace. They, they didn't plan for these kinds of things. He just shows up. I need a place to stay. So he gives him a place to stay. It's late at night. We're at midnight. And so he has a choice to make. Will I be a bad host, say, I give you a place to sleep, but I have no food to give you? Or go to a neighbor who might have some bread, but he and his family are likely asleep. In effect, Jesus was saying, which of you has the nerve to wake up the neighbor and his family at midnight and ask for bread? Now, the point of comparison here is not between the neighbor and God. God never sleeps. But between the host who is asking and the disciple. The disciple here is being urged through this parable to go to the Lord boldly in prayer. If the host should go boldly to his neighbor, risking him to be irritated because of the time of which it was, then we should go to our gracious Father who delights to meet the needs of his people. That's the point of the parable. It's an encouragement for us to pray because with God, it's never midnight. He's never asleep. We don't have to wonder if he has bread or not because his resources never run out, and he is never bothered when we approach him. So then not only should we approach God with the spirit of humility and dependence, we should approach him with boldness, persistence. The neighbor responds not because he's a friend, but because the host, the guy that was hosting the the one on the journey, is persistent and bold. Jesus makes that point in verse 8. See, this host had the nerve to ask. Because he had the nerve to ask his neighbor, the neighbor gives him what he asked for. Because don't be too shy to seek the Lord boldly in prayer. God desires prayer that is bold. God desires prayer that has nerve, we could say. Jesus not only explains what the pattern and content of our prayers ought to be, but he urges us to be persistent. The approach ought to be persistent and bold. Notice each action as as you continue to read. And I tell you, verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Notice each action, the ask, seek, knock, has a corresponding response. You ask, it will be given. You seek, you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. This doesn't mean we will always get exactly what we ask for in prayer, but it does mean that God supplies our needs generously and graciously when we seek him for what we truly need. So as we pray, brothers and sisters, may we pray boldly with the expectation that God will hear our prayers and the expectation that God will delight in in hearing you call out to him even boldly. Does your praying have nerve in it? Are you persistent? Are you bold in your praying? And then number three, we see that it's prayer that has with it a sure provision. 
Jesus finishes and says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus finishes here with this illustration of a father to a child to emphasize God's willingness to receive and answer our prayers. Sometimes I think we just, we're just like, I don't know if God really wants me to pray about this. Sometimes I think we, we talk ourselves out of praying because we don't think God's interested in our praying. And Jesus is telling us here, no, he's interested. He has more of an interest in you than you do in you. He created you. He saved you. He sustains you. The good work he began in you, he will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We know all these things are true, and he cares about every single detail in your life. He's a father, and we are his children. And the picture here is as a father who gets a request for food, fish. What father would give his son a scorpion or a snake? It's unthinkable, isn't it? Ask for egg, you, you get a scorpion. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, how incredible would that be for a, a father to give a child something they're requesting that's good for them, that's for their own well-being, and he would come around and give them something that's dangerous to them, harmful. It's absurd. Earthly parents are willing to give their children the very things they need, the very things that are essential for their well-being. And then you see the how much more argument that's present. How much more will a good and gracious and generous father, how much more would the perfect father give his imperfect children that which they need if an imperfect human earthly father will give his imperfect children things they need. Brothers and sisters, we can be assured that God both hears and desires to answer our prayers. We can pray with expectation and urgency because we know we have a father who cares for his children. We can live in dependence upon the Lord because he gives us what we need. And there at the end you see, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He recognizes here the important role of the Holy Spirit given to us. God will give us the means of the Holy Spirit so that all we need, all of our basic and all of our spiritual needs are met because God's presence through his spirit is with us continually. And it's an encouragement to us that through the spirit we have ready access to drop on the spirit's resources any time for anything. It's a sure provision. So when we pray, we should pray with this pattern in mind. We should pray with a bold persistence and we should pray knowing with expectation that God will provide for all of our needs. So what about your praying? When you pray, are you praying according to the pattern that Jesus gives us? 
Are you praying with a bold persistence? Does your praying have nerve to it? And are you praying expecting God to give you good things that you need? You know, there will be a day when prayer will be no more, at least in the ways in which prayer is practiced and pursued now. So the purpose and priority of prayer is intended in its form that we see here for this life. And we should see it and maybe even treat it like a fresh loaf of bread that has a shelf life. Take hold of it and enjoy it. Enjoy the privilege and blessing that we've been given through prayer. That God in his grace has given us full access to his throne. So, Brothers and sisters, may we not be negligent. May we not be mechanical. May we not be just simply routine in our praying. But may we be a praying, a passionately praying people by God's grace, filled with his spirit. That we pray in these ways. We pray with this expectancy. We pray with such boldness. We pray knowing that God has opened the door for us to seek him. Friends, let us seek him with boldness, with confidence, and with joy. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you not only call us to pray, but God, you show us how. You show us how to pray. You show us why we should pray and with what emotion, with what expectation in which we should approach you. Father, we know that we've been given these words for our own good and for our own sake and for our own growth individually and corporately. And Lord, so much so that you are glorified even when we pray. Father, we ask in the spirit of this prayer that's even before us today that you would forgive us of our sins, particularly of the sin of negligence in such praying. Forgive us of the sin of selfishness. Forgive us, Lord, for when we see prayer as a means to our own desired end and not as a means to your glory and for the advance of your kingdom. God, would you help us in our praying? Lord, would you help us to leave here today encouraged, convicted and encouraged about our relationship with you, that we would be known for our praying. So God, would you help us? We know that we need you. We confess that now. And so Father, would you help us to continue to confess that through our praying, even as we leave here today. Thank you for giving us these words of instruction and encouragement. God, would you Root them deep in our hearts today that we would be devoted disciples walking in faith and dependence upon you through prayer. It's in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.